I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Good morning and welcome to this, our morning worship at Kirkpatrick Memorial. Um, I know I'll be an unfamiliar face to many of you this morning, so Paul's asked me if I'll introduce myself to you. Um, my name's Emma, I'm Paul's wife, and uh, you'll know him as your student assistant minister at the moment. It feels very strange for me to be with you and yet not with you this morning. But I wanted to take this opportunity to thank you on behalf of our family, to thank you as a congregational community for welcoming us so warmly into the body of your of your fellowship. Um, your graciousness, your generosity of spirit, your kindness has meant so much to us in these long and lonely COVID-ridden days. So thank you, Kirkpatrick. With that said, um, let me begin this morning with a brief reflection on our theme, which is Jesus in the wilderness. Now for me, this is a heartening passage as it firmly cements the personhood, the humanity of Jesus. In the challenges and struggles we're all facing, it brings such comfort to know that our God is a God who suffered and was tempted in his sufferings. God's closeness, his empathy, is real, it's a tangible one, as he suffered trials when on earth. And so even though we're in separate places this morning, please join with me as a congregational family in our opening call to worship. Let us worship God who has done great things. We rejoice in our God who made a way through the desert of this world. Let us worship God who has caused streams of mercy to flow in the wasteland. We are the people God has formed through Christ. We worship him and we rejoice. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. We praise God for the grace that he has saved us. Alleluia. We rejoice. Amen. Let us pray. Holy and merciful God, in your presence, we confess our sinfulness, our shortcomings and our offences against you. You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your ways, in wasting your gifts, in forgetting your love. Have mercy on us, O Lord, for we are ashamed and sorry for all we've done to displease you. Forgive our sins and help us to live in your light and walk in your ways, for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand to the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, 
throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, it is lovely to be able to be with you um, in this way. It's a real shame uh, that I can't be with you in person, but hopefully someday soon um, we might all be back together uh, in Kirkpatrick. Um, this morning we're going to be thinking a little bit about a sequel. Sequels are always difficult things to get right. Very few sequels ever live up to or outdo the original. Musicians talk about their difficult second album. Writers are often struck by serious writer's block trying to create a follow-up novel that matches or outdoes their bestseller. And very few movie sequels ever live up to the hype of the original. You've got Godfather Part 2, Terminator 2, Empire Strikes Back and Shrek 2. And that is it. Those are the only movies that have ever been better than their originals. Well, this morning we're going to be thinking about a sequel. A really important sequel. A sequel that thankfully blows the original right out of the water. A sequel to the event where it all went wrong. You see, here in The Temptation of Jesus, we see a rematch of the Garden of Eden. Satan once again comes to question the word of God, to sow lies and deceit and try to cause this perfect, sinless second Adam to fall into temptation. However, as we see, Jesus succeeds where Adam and Eve failed. Jesus stands where Adam and Eve fell. And Jesus, this this second Adam, provides hope of a kingdom vastly different from the sinful, fallen one that came through the first Adam. So this morning we're going to think about really two things. Firstly, what does Jesus' temptations tell us about who he is and the mission that he came to fulfill? And secondly, how does Jesus' life and example here help his people as we face temptation? So first off, what does this event tell us about Jesus' identity and mission? Well, to begin with, we see in verse 1 that he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested or tempted. The word there can mean both. And in this case, unusually, it probably does mean both at the same time. Notice the, the two buys, by the Spirit and by the devil. Jesus isn't just randomly in the desert when the devil just happens to show up. He is led there by God the Spirit to be 
tested. And that test is going to come in the form of this temptation by the devil. So why is this important? Well, to be the the perfect, sinless second Adam who could deal with the problem of sin, who could act as the sacrifice which would succeed in taking away the sin of the world, Jesus had to face the same temptations as the first Adam and come out on top. And although the the reality is that Jesus faced abundantly more temptation than Adam and Eve, thankfully, for the sake of our eternal souls, he was able to resist. Both through this incident and every other attack that the devil would throw at him. And he remained that unblemished lamb, that perfect saviour who gave his life to save us. We who could never be perfect by our own efforts. Now it's, it's easy to miss this, this Eden theme because most of the narrative seems to call back to Israel's time in the wilderness and their testing. Both are, are set in the desert. Jesus is there for 40 days representing the 40 years. Jesus uses quotes from, from Deuteronomy 6 to 8 directly referencing Israel's time in the desert, failing the testing of God. And Matthew, the, the writer being led here by the Spirit, wants to, to make clear that the mission of Jesus is completely linked to the establishment of the kingdom of God or, or kingdom of heaven, as it's usually put in this gospel. We see that phrase 36 times in this book. Jesus has not come to establish an earthly kingdom to try and and reform the the current people of God. No, he has come to establish the kingdom of God, the beginning of a new way. He points back to the Israelites in the desert to, to remind the people that their current kingdom was established by unfaithful, grumbling, idolatrous people who constantly failed the tests they were given. It was to remind them that the problem was not God or leadership or circumstance or other nations. The problem was sin. And sin came into the world at Eden and infected all people, separating them from God for eternity. And for this to be taken care of, For a kingdom of of faithful saints to be established. Who could live for and worship God. To establish that kingdom of heaven. the The sin of the first Adam. That had carried down through the whole of history. Had to be dealt with. However, this second Adam has at his baptism. Just been declared by God to be his son. Satan is is well aware that this is not just a human being, but this is God-made flesh. And so in this second attempt to make a perfect human fall, the test is even more extreme. James Montgomery Boyce puts it better than I can when, when he says it like this. Adam and Eve were in paradise. Jesus was in the vast, desolate wilderness of Judah. 
Adam and Eve were physically content and satisfied. They were free to eat from any of the trees of the garden, save the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Jesus was hungry, having fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Adam and Eve were together. They had each other for for company and mutual support. Jesus was alone. Yet Adam and Eve rapidly succumbed to Satan's wiles, carrying the entire human race into sin, misery, destruction, and both physical and spiritual death. While Jesus stood firm as the saviour who was to bring life and salvation to the race. Jesus, who, although truly God made flesh, was also truly human. Being conceived by the Holy Spirit, he didn't have the sin of Adam and a fallen nature like like we do. He was like Adam and Eve in the garden. Perfect, but still capable of sin. Capable of being tempted from outside and falling. And so the devil hits him as hard as he can in this time of weakness. Jesus in his humanity is weak and hungry and yet he withstands this test and comes out victorious. And we know that he resists every other test that the devil throws at him. And takes his place on the cross as that perfect sacrifice willing to take the consequence of our sin onto himself and pour out his perfection on us so that when God looks at us he sees his son's perfection and righteousness and welcomes us in as his children even though this incident comes before Jesus' ministry even begins, we see that this is the man who was foretold in Genesis 3.15. The seed of Eve who would crush the head of the serpent but be bruised in the process. The one who would be a blessing to the nations as Abraham is told his descendant will be. And the king coming from the line of David who will rule over the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom we are made part of through his sacrifice to us. Jesus came to earth to be that second Adam, to defeat the power of Satan, sin and death, and to make a way for us to come back into relationship with the Father into the relationship that we were created for, the relationship in which we find eternal rest, peace, and life. I wonder, have you embraced all that Christ has done for you? Have you placed your faith and your hope in him and him alone? The one who came to live the perfect life that we could never live and died a sacrificial death so that we, through him, can have life in all its fullness. So we've seen that this event in the life of Jesus points us to who he is and the mission that he has come to fulfill. But not just that. This event also shows us that through his example, we can see how we 
can cope when we face temptation. Obviously, the, the, the temptations that we face are, are probably not the same as Jesus's. And he is a, a, the perfect person, responds to them in a way that we in our, our sinful state may not always succeed in doing. But the same principles are there. We may never be tempted to use our miraculous powers for our own ends, but we're always tempted to put our own needs and wants before others, and more importantly, before God. We may not be tempted to jump off a building to prove God's care for us, but we are tempted to put God's grace and forgiveness constantly to the test by living for ourselves. We may never be offered all the kingdoms in the world to rule, But do we not crave the things of this world and constantly put them in God's place in our lives? Jobs, positions of power, wealth, possessions, good grades, being loved and accepted by others. These are not necessarily bad things, but when we care more about our earthly life and status, then the kingdom of God, which we claim to be a part of, we're falling into the same temptation. So we see here types of sins that we're just as likely to face. And we receive an example from Jesus to follow. And by the Spirit's help, grow in as we keep following Jesus as his disciples. He shows us here that we need to be people of the word because the devil knows the word. And we need to trust in God's timing and provision. So we need to be people of the word. I'm sure you've, you, if you've been a Christian or uh, around a church for, for any length of time, you've probably heard your fair share of sermons that essentially tell you to just go and read your Bible more. But I wonder how many of you need to hear that message again. I know I do. And I'm I'm not here this morning to make you feel guilty. But just to point out what Jesus shows us here. Three times Jesus is tempted and, and three times he responds, it is written. Jesus knows his scripture inside out and outside in. He knows its words. He knows its context and he knows its power. Can we know God's word to us that well? I think even the most avid reader amongst us with the biggest theological brain would still really struggle. But we can know it a bit. And we can know it a bit more. And a bit more. As the Spirit reveals it to us. As we immerse ourselves in it. And in his first temptation, in verse 4, Jesus shows us the importance of this. Quoting Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Jesus is is, is not saying here that, that food or earthly provisions are unimportant. Not too long after this, he asks us to pray for our daily bread, for God in his mercy to, to provide for us what we need each and every day. Now, what he's saying here is that What is the point in eating if you're not feeding on the word? What is the point in being sustained in this world if you're not being built up and formed by the word of God? 
You know, I think about this every time that I'm, I'm, I'm driving to church. And I'm passing by all of those people who are out for a run or out for a cycle, who are always out in force at that time, building their bodies, improving their physical health. While it's reasonably likely, their souls, the part of them that matters eternally, is dead. You know, the, the Bible is, is not some sort of magic book. Simply opening it up and, and reading out the contents doesn't automatically fix us or grow us. But it is the very words of our God. The words of God the Father about the Son given to the writers by the Holy Spirit and brought to life in us by that same Spirit who uses it to form us and grow us and challenge us and encourage us. God, the, the holy, eternal king of the universe, has chosen to reveal himself to us through this book. So we should take it seriously. We won't always feel like it. We won't always understand it. Parts of it are clearer than others. Some parts of it help us to understand the other parts. But all of it is God's word. And all of it is for our good. But we also see here one of the reasons why it is so important that we know God's word. You see, the devil knows it. And more than that, he knows how to use it. Again, we've, we've seen this right from the Garden of Eden. Where Satan comes and twists God's words. Did God really say that? We see it here again when after Jesus' baptism, and, and God has made this incredible declaration that we thought about last week. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased well then the devil comes along and twice says if you are the son of god do this if you're really the son of god you'd be able to do this questioning twisting the very words of god and finally we see it in the second temptation, verses 5 to 7, when Satan quotes scripture to try and convince Jesus to fall into sin, he quotes from Psalm 91, a psalm about God being our protection and refuge. But Satan twists it to make it be about man testing and using God's power and promises for their own twisted ends. In this case, Satan doesn't even twist or rework scripture he he quotes it perfectly but he's ripped it from its context and suggested it means something that it was never meant to and interestingly if you have a look at psalm 91 the very next verse of the psalm talks of the serpent being trampled underfoot funny enough satan leaves that one out See, we need to know our Bibles. We need to know what God says to us. So we know when God's word is being distorted, 
disregarded or twisted. From the Garden of Eden, this has always been a chief strategy of Satan. And in our more connected world, in this internet age, and in this time of lockdown, where we might watch this service and then have five more pop up on Facebook or on our our YouTube feed because of paid advertising. The devil has, has never had it so easy to bring distorted and false teaching into our lives. We need to be people of the word. So we, by the Spirit's help, can recognize better when the Bible is being disregarded or twisted to say things that it doesn't say. And finally, I just want to finish by looking at the the very end of our passage this morning and see that how Jesus trusts in God's provision and timing. After Jesus has cast out Satan, and notice he he does that. Satan didn't come with three temptations and then leave because his plan failed. After the third temptation, Jesus says, enough, clear off. And Satan goes. Because Jesus, as God on earth, has authority over him. Satan is dangerous. Peter, who had personal experience of this, calls him a lion prowling around, seeking who to devour. He comes back, he repeatedly attacks Jesus throughout his life, and he will repeatedly attack us. But what we need to remember is that he is under God's control. And at the cross and through the resurrection, he was beaten. His chief weapon, death, no longer has its sting. And at Christ's return, he will be judged alongside all others. James in James chapter 4 verse 7 tells us to submit ourselves before God, to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. Temptation won't last forever. If we're tempted to take our eyes off Christ and follow the ways of the world, we, we might struggle to resist. We might fail and fall. But if we can resist temptation, it will pass. And knowing God's word helps us to cling to the truths his word reveals and strengthen us as we face temptation. And if we do fail and fall, we know that that since Jesus didn't, we can have forgiveness and grace because he has dealt with the consequences of our sin and given us who put our trust in him, his perfection. And what do we see at the end? The devil clears off and the angels come and minister to or attend him. The angels do come to lift him up. They almost certainly bring him food. They they bring him bread to feast on and to be nourished with. It's probably the best breakfast he ever has. And they prepare him to go on in his mission. To make a way for all the kingdoms of the world to come back into relationship with God. Not by becoming the the tyrannical king imposing his will as the devil offered. But as the suffering servant giving his life so that we might live. Do you see? 
Have you noticed? Jesus actually receives all the things that Satan offers to him. But they come in God's way and by God's timing. Ultimately, Jesus is able to resist the devil because he trusts God. He trusts God's promises and he trusts God's provision. He is starving. He is weak. He is looking forward to a time of suffering and death that he will face. But he is able to stay strong because he knows God's word. He knows God's promises. And he knows the God who has revealed himself to him. And he trusts that God will bring him through this trial. I wonder is your trust in God this morning. The God who has has revealed himself to us in his word. Are you growing in him as you let him by his spirit form you and shape you by being immersed in his life-giving, life-revealing words to us? Do you trust in his promises as you face temptation? And ultimately, do you trust in Jesus? The one who came to be that second Adam, the one who did resist sin and the devil completely who lived that perfect life and died to take away your sin and give you instead, by God's incredible grace to us, his perfection. Do you recognise that if, if we are living for and trusting in Jesus, our failures no longer separate us from God? When we fall, and fail, which we will do, we can pick ourselves back up, dust ourselves off, and keep going and growing in him. Because through Christ, we are God's beloved children. Let's trust in God this morning. Let's give thanks to him for what Jesus has done for us. And let's get stuck in to his word let's be in communication with him growing in him by the spirit so that we can better resist the attacks of sin and the devil let's pray lord we thank you for your word lord we thank you for what it reveals to us about you but lord we thank you that it is not just a history book It is not just a book that gives us knowledge, but it is a book that contains your words to us. It is a book that you have promised will shape and form us by your spirit. Lord, that it reveals to us your salvation plan, that it calls us into relationship with you. So Lord, we pray that as we seek to to grow and follow you, that you will work in our lives. Lord, by your spirit, you will strengthen us, you will form us, you will grow us into your disciples. And Lord, that we would evermore be able to trust in your promises, look to you in all things, and to resist 
the power of sin and the devil. Lord, that when temptation comes our way, when we are struggling, that we would be able to keep our eyes on you and the promises that you have given to us. And that, Lord, in your care and your provision and your timing, Lord, that you would bring us through and give us what we need. Amen. During our prayers of intercession, I will pause a number of times to allow you to bring your own prayers before God. And I'd invite you to say with me at the end of each short pause, O Lord, hear our prayer. Let us pray. Father God, it has been another challenging week. No matter where we live or our personal circumstances, it seems as though everyone is struggling under the weight of waiting. As the death toll rises and people's funds decrease, we bring before you those struggling during this pandemic. The loss of loved ones, domestic violence and abuse, serious stress caused by work, home life and loneliness, depression and other mental health issues, all these things and many others plague our nation and the rest of the world. We cry out to you and ask for help to cope with whatever our personal challenges are. O Lord, hear our prayer. Father God, in the political scrambling over vaccines and the implications this could have both nationally and internationally, we ask that you would calm troubled waters. For those in positions of power and authority, we ask they make good decisions about how to handle these complex negotiations. For those with loud voices in public spaces, we ask that you help them curb their tongues when they are tempted to stoke animosity and anxiety. May each of us realise the responsibility we have to use words wisely. O Lord, hear our prayer. Finally, Father, for the Church, we turn to you as we seek to share your love with other people. In a world that's experiencing such darkness and ugliness, help us be gentle lights that illuminate something beautiful that reflects the wonder of you, a God who loves us more than life itself. Give us wisdom sensitivity and an imagination that will equip us with this wonderful task in the coming days. O oh Lord, hear our prayer. Amen.
And so at the end of the service, we want to say thank you to Stephen for sharing with us this morning. Before we join together in the benediction, I'd like to draw attention to some of the announcements in the bulletin this week. First of all, uh, tonight begins the Four Corners Festival with a talk on how we as a church can breathe out hope in our city. Um, Monty's January series of devotional videos, Alone with God, they'll be available throughout the month of February and you can easily access them by uh, clicking on the link in the email. And finally, the RSPB invite us all to join with them in the big Birdwatch weekend. Um, And uh, even through driving rain, we can look out our windows and uh, enjoy God's creation by looking at these beautiful birds. May the God of love, who shared his love, strengthen us in our love for others. May the Son, who shared his life, grant us grace that we might share our life. And may the Holy Spirit, dwelling in us, empower us to be only and always for others. Amen.